0: Whoa!
1: During this season of Lent, we practice prayer, fasting, and charity, so I should begin this program with an act of charity, and that is actually an act of gratitude, which is a charity in itself. I want to thank all of you for listening, first of all, and in particular, some recent listeners who wrote to us. John Oberg, I thank you, John, for your kind words. In fact, John said to me in his letter, I liked your topic on marriage and overcoming self. would like to see a guest couple give testimony on how prayer brought them closer. God bless your ministry. Well, sounds like a good idea. I think I'll take you up on it, John. So keep listening, and you'll probably hear soon a couple that will give testimony how prayer brought them closer. That's a very important, very important point about marriage. In fact, as you are listening to this program, I am actually speaking to married couples. I am directing the Precana ministry for the Eparchy of Parma, and we are hearing from couples precisely about that topic of how prayer, faith, the church, what it does for their marriage, their family, their household. So thank you, John, for reminding us about that and how providential was your reminder and your letter. So thank you, John. Also, I want to acknowledge our good friend who wrote to us recently, Jonathan Yerian. Jonathan Yerian. Thank you, Jonathan, for your kind words. And also, Anthony Bennett, who also has a podcast of his own called CatholicGuides.com. So, Anthony Bennett, and also Father Greg, one of the faculty members from St. Patrick Seminary in San Francisco. Thank you very much, Father Greg, for your kind words, and thank all of you above all. As much as we love hearing from you above all, I want to thank you for listening, because that is very affirming for us here at Light of the East, because our desire, of course, is to send a message, and hopefully that message is being received. So, we love hearing from you. We love receiving your messages. But above all, we enjoy and are firm by you receiving our message. The church has a message all the time for us, an indispensable, crucial message especially through her liturgical tradition, her liturgical calendar. And this time of Lent is such a rich time for the liturgical calendar, especially in the eastern lung of the church. In fact, today, this Sunday, is the Sunday in which we focus on a woman saint. Her name is Saint Mary of Egypt, lived many, many centuries ago, and her story is a fascinating one. In fact, when you hear her story read, which we do during the celebration of the great canon of St Andrew of Crete which we did this past week actually we read amidst that canon we stop and actually we pause and we read her story and her story is told by a priest named Father Zosimus and this story when you hear it and it's something you really ought to read read for yourself or even read to your family read to your spouses read at your church read in some kind of venue religious education or adult education whatever read that story because it is really very high drama and very sophisticated dialogue. You could really make a movie about it. Whenever I hear that story being read, I imagine a movie. imagine a movie maker could make a great movie out of that. It's one of those movies where you don't need a lot of characters. All you need is a few, two in particular. But the dialogue is of such a caliber, of such a depth and magnitude, that basically all you need is those two characters, Father Zosimus and St. Mary of Egypt herself. Basically, the story is is about a young lady who was a prostitute at a rather young age. She was a young teenage girl, and she used to seduce men, and she boasted about it. She had a great power over men. She reveled in the power that she had to manipulate men. And one day, she was rather fascinated by pilgrims who were headed into the great church of the Holy Sepulchre, also called the Church of the Resurrection, in Jerusalem, in the church over the place where Christ died and was buried and he rose. And Mary, being kind of curious, wanted to see what they were all attracted to, so she tried to get into the church, and some force held her back. She tried again, and a force held her back, so she became very upset, and she happened to glance up at an icon, of the mother of God, and when she glanced up at that icon, she had a conversion. She had a profound sense of her own sinfulness, so much so that she was moved to tears, and she ran off into the desert, and she stayed there for many years in absolute extreme austerity and asceticism. In fact, the icons of Saint Mary of Egypt depict her almost like with skin and bones, almost like a starving person. And she's there for many years and one day someone discovers her, and this is Abbot Zosimus. See, the practice among Eastern monks was to live in their cells by themselves in solitude, but they would come together once in a while. They would come together on Palm Sunday. And so all the monks would come from their individual cells and gather together in community on Palm Sunday. And then what they would do is they would go out then into the desert, back to their monasteries. Well, Abizosimus came from the monastery after having been gathered there for Palm Sunday. And he went out into the monastery to do like a retreat, to pray. And he noticed a figure of somebody running by real quickly. And he thought to himself, gee, did I see that right? It seemed like a figure that was human out here in the wilderness. They call the desert wilderness. Out here in the wilderness, this figure went by. I didn't expect to find anybody out here. And I think that figure was even naked. Well, eventually he comes across this figure. And yes, it is St. Mary of Egypt, whose father Zosimas discovers she's been out there for many, many years by herself, doing penance. And there starts that marvelous dialogue. And like I said, I highly, highly recommend that you read that dialogue. You can find it by going online. Just look up St. Mary of Egypt. You'll find that dialogue in many places. You can download it and read it yourself. Read it, as I mentioned, as something in your household, something to do during Great and Holy Week, or any time, actually. Read that story, because the dialogue is so deep, it's so rich, But they talk back and forth about themselves, about their spirituality, about her story. She tells her story to Zosimus. And to make a longer, beautiful story shorter, she asks Zosimus for a favor. She says to come back here next year and bring her Holy Communion. That was the one thing she desired was Holy Communion. So Zosimus promises her that after they had this wonderful dialogue. So he comes back and he gives her Holy Communion, then leaves again. And she tells him to come back to the same spot the following year. So he does. But she has died. And what happened was Mary of Egypt essentially died after she had finally received the body and blood of Christ. Remember, she was in the desert doing penance. She had no contact with church, Eucharist, sacraments, anything. Just prayer and penance. But when she received the Eucharist, it was very mindful of what St. Simeon said in the scripture when he held Christ. Remember when Christ was presented in the temple when he was a child? And the holy elder Simeon takes Christ in his arms and he says, Now you may dismiss your sermon, Lord, for my eyes have seen. So the old elderly Simeon desired to leave this world because nothing else mattered once he beheld Christ in his own arms, God himself in the flesh, the Messiah. He longed to see that as an elderly, pious, righteous Jewish man. And finally, not only does he see it, he holds the Messiah, God himself in the flesh, in his own hands. Nothing else mattered. God, you can take me now. Dismiss your servant. And so it was with Mary of Egypt. She waited for Zosimus to bring her the body and blood of Christ, the Eucharist, and then gently passed on into eternal life. Now, there's a number of things that we can learn and be enriched by with this story of St. Mary of Egypt. First of all, the liturgical texts are very rich in themselves for this feast day. These are the liturgical texts, some of them from the Sunday morning prayer, the matin service of the Byzantine church regarding St. Mary of Egypt. Formerly Moses was glorified by the vision of God on Sinai, thus sketching a new mystery. And now Mary bows before the most pure icon, before the vessel that contained the manna, and she shares a life of the angels. She who once defiled your temple in her flesh, wished to see, as David saying, the beauty of your house and the glory of your spiritual temple. O Christ, the intercession of your mother, the spoutless temple, make me the temple of your Spirit, who is everywhere present. She whose glance once captured many men with the bait of the flesh for a passing pleasure, so that they may become the prize of the devil, now herself is caught by divine grace in the hook of the cross and she brings delight to christ in many different ways the choir of inspired prophets with their secret relations foretold your holy mystery O pure virgin and now mary bows before your most pure icon before the vessel that contained the manna and she becomes an advocate before god for sinners when we come back we're going to talk more about this incredible woman with her incredible story saint mary of egypt I am
0: Father Thomas Loia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
1: You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
0: You are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you.
1: Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. We're looking at an incredible woman with an incredible story, St. Mary of Egypt who was discovered by a priest in Zosimus in the desert after years of penance, and she died only after finally receiving the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist. This may be a story of a woman long ago, but providentially and so wisely, the genius of the church puts her example up in front of us forever, for centuries, to this day, because her story is relevant, especially today. That's the thing about the church. The church is timeless. It works on a kairos time, not a chronos or chronological time. It's all about things that are good for all time, that have a value past, present, and future. And certainly this story has a value past, present, and future, and is certainly in the present. There are several things that are absolutely relevant for us from this story and the observance of Saint Mary of Egypt, as it is observed in the Byzantine liturgical calendar during this fifth Sunday of Lent. First of all, if you notice Something about the church, which is a good answer to our critics today, the church, east or west, gets criticized a lot by the secular world today and the moral relativists, even by people within the church as being so-called a little hard or insensitive to women, women's issues and women's rights and so on. Well, if you notice something about the church, it has many, many male saints. There's a lot of focus on male saints. They seem to be rather front and center many of them. Yet, with all the many, many male saints, you notice something about the church? It only takes a few women to literally overshadow all those male saints. First and foremost, of course, the most obvious example is the mother of God herself. The sum total of all the men in the world, all the saintly men in the world, even from St. Joseph himself, the foster father of Christ, St. John the Baptist, all of them, no matter how great, how many, they don't, in a certain sense, hold a candle to the greatness of one woman, the mother of God. This example of St. Mary of Egypt, a shining example, people like her, St. Catherine of Alexandria, St. Teresa, two St. Teresas actually in the Latin Rite Church, St. Catherine of Siena, you notice whenever we mention these female saints, or even in a contemporary world, Mother Teresa. Was there any woman whose name was more household, more in high profile in our day and age than this Catholic nun, this Catholic ascetical charitable monastic, Mother Teresa? My point being is that if you notice in the church, if we look at the church honestly, and we see this in example of Mary Egypt, it seems to take few, even though there are many, many female saints. But whenever the female saint is brought in front of our eyes, it seems to have an incredible power to it, an almost overshadowing power to it. And certainly that is the case here with St. Mary of Egypt. She was put right here in the fifth Sunday of Lent as an example of womanhood, a female ascetic, because last Sunday would have been St. John Climacus, an example of male ascetics. But this female ascetic has her very own prominent Sunday during this prominent time of Lent. She also has her own feast day, which is just the day before today, April 1st. Isn't that interesting? The timing is rather providential this year in the liturgical calendar. The point being is that she has a prominent place in this prominent time of Lent and also her own feast day. It seems like female saints shine ever brighter than all of the male saints. In many ways. At least that is my sense of it. So, first of all, the church, her example is one of those examples which shows that the church is not only not down on women, or they're slighting them, or chauvinistic, or all those other kind of false accusations. The church actually shows in its very liturgical calendar, its liturgical life, how in fact it raises women to a place that not even the secular world, not even secular feminists have done. Pope John Paul II in his Theology of Bodies refers to womanhood as having a particular genius. And speaking of that, I'd like to recommend a book on womanhood. And actually, it's a good book for men to read as well, especially priests even, because there's a great section on manhood in it. This book is called Discovering the Feminine Genius, Every Woman's Journey by Katrina Zeno. Katrina Zeno. It's put out by Pauline Books and Media, Discovering the Feminine Genius, Every Woman's Journey by Katrina J. Zeno, a great book to understand the real spirituality of womanhood, the genius of womanhood, and also manhood as well, because you can't really understand one except in relation to the other, and that goes all the way back to Genesis. Adam did not really fully know who he was except in relation to Eve and vice versa. So, the first thing that we look at in a very relevant contemporary way from this very ancient venerable feast of St. Mary of Egypt is the church's regard for womanhood and how powerful is the example of even a few saints of the church who are women. There are many, many saints and women, of course, but my point is that from time to time, their examples seem to shine extremely bright and sometimes the point where they overshadow, in a good way, (laughs) all of the examples of male saints. A second thing that we learn from this celebration of St. Mary of Egypt is what our real heart's desire is. You know, most people don't know why they desire things like intimacy, relationships, sexual experience, family, marriage. They don't understand that our deepest desire because we remain the image and likeness of God, is for intimacy. Intimacy with God, first and foremost. This is the one thing human beings cannot live well without. And we go in search of it in every way possible, even in disordered ways, if we've been injured, especially seriously, in that area of our desire for intimacy. God, as we emphasize so much in the Eastern spirituality, is Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a union and community of persons in love, distinct individuals who form a community among themselves. God made us like that. He made us to image himself. Therefore, we too desire intimacy, communion, relationship. When we get hurt or frustrated in those areas, we'll search for that, no less, even in ways that are disordered or harmful. This was the example of Mary of Egypt. Remember, as a young girl, she was a prostitute and she did it because she enjoyed the attention of men. She had an insatiable desire to control men, to draw men to her, in a sense to to lord over them, to manipulate them, to gain affection, but also to almost, in a sense, gain a certain vengeance, probably because she was hurt in this area in some deep way. So, we see in her how even the disordered search for this one deep desire reveals precisely that our desire is that central, that desire for union, for intimacy, for communion, for relationality. But we also find something else, that the only place we can ultimately satisfy that union is is not in disordered ways. The only way you can really satisfy that desire for intimacy is to be intimate with God. First and foremost, to seek God, especially through the help of the intercessor, his mother, the Theotokos. Remember, it was an icon. It was looking up at the icon of the mother of God that turned this young girl around that started on the road to finding the ultimate object of her deepest desires. It was the mother of God and the reality, the power of an icon that pointed her in the direction of her real desires and where she could become satiated with those real desires by the real source, by the real remedy, the real answer to her desires, and that is God himself. Thirdly, in her quest For her deepest desire, Mary came to know that she ultimately desired not just a union that was purely, let's say, heady or even in prayer, but actually physical as well, total in the Eucharist. When did she die? After all those years, she thirsted for the object of her desire, which she did have by her asceticism and prayer, her solitude in the desert. But it came to a fulfillment in the physicality of that desire, in her being able to unite her very body, blood, and soul with the body, blood, soul, divinity of Christ in the Eucharist through the bread and wine consecrated that the priest Zosius brought to her in the desert. It was then that there was nothing else for her to live for. She had arrived at a union with her ultimate desire, Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And finally, we see through her example, that our openness, our openness to that kind of intimacy, the effectiveness of it, the impact of it is enlarged. It is expanded, it is magnified by our asceticism. In other words, by our clearing out the soul of our house and making room for that union with God through asceticism, repentance, prayer, begging forgiveness, fasting, Abstaining, pulling back from everything that is unnecessary, the clutter of our lives, spiritually and physically, so that we can open ourselves to receiving the one thing that we really desire God Himself. St. Mary of Egypt, she lived long ago, but her example is just as urgent and relevant today, and it always will be. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas
0: Loya on Light of the East.
1: EWTN home video highlight for April is Fatima, Altar of the World. This documentary testifies to the profound connection between heaven and Fatima. You'll also receive a beautiful one-of-a-kind centennial rosary dedicated to the 100th anniversary of the Fatima apparitions created by Gorelli. Order your DVD and centennial rosary set at EWTNRC.com, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, or call 1-800-854-6316.